Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, it's only a week until Christmas. I hope you've been successfully navigating the horrors of holiday shopping and all that other cheer. Christmas is creeping up quickly. But even before that, there's another landmark day that I don't think gets nearly enough attention, and that is the winter solstice which lands this coming Tuesday, the 21st. If you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you probably already know that I'm a bit of a sucker for dark folklore. And being that the winter solstice is literally the darkest time of year, it's no wonder that there are plenty of stories that surround it. For many cultures around the world, the winter solstice is a time to celebrate death marked with everything from simple ceremonial bonfires to bloody sacrificial slaughters. Of course, if you believe in rebirth, it's a little less grim, I guess, but still. Other cultures have traditions and folklore around the emergence of evil spirits on the solstice. The veil that separates our world from darker realms is also at its thinnest and any creature that thrives in the dark 
likely isn't something we want roaming our own plane now, is it? That's why, in some places, people stay up all night during winter solstice to protect against the creeping horrors, or at least in the hopes of not being caught unaware. So, while you're planning your revelry and cheer for the Christmas season, don't let your guard down too far next week, because Santa might not be the only mythical being that can see you when you're sleeping and know when you're awake. This week, our deepest, darkest thanks goes out to our newest patron, Lisa McChrystal. Supporting our deadly little corner of the horrorverse is the best holiday gift we could receive. Thank you, Lisa, so much for joining our twisted little family. To usher in the darkest of seasons, we have two tales for you tonight, the first of which comes from Eric McCatton. Eric McCatton's passion for horror literature began in grade school and can be credited to an early fascination with the terrific triples horror collection of Helen Hoke. In those books, he plumbed the depraved depths of Poe, Lovecraft, Dunsany, Bloch, Bradbury, and more, and was forever after put under the spell of those masters. These days, he describes himself as a loving father, a tolerable husband, and an adequate pet owner. Children of the night, join me for Eric McHatton's It Creeps in the Corners, a Tales to Terrify original. It creeps in the corners. It sits staring out with unveiled resentment, keeping me frozen in my bed. For some time now, I have not moved. I cannot move. I am held. The simultaneous slapping of its many tendrilled hands beating against the walls has kept me awake, although I doubt sleep could find me anyway. Not while it creeps. Not while it sludges itself up and down, side to side. Not while it undulates and vomits its thoughts continually, covering me over with bile-smelling hate. Oh, I wish I had not called to it. I wish it had not answered. But wishes don't eclipse mistakes when you've brought ruin to your door. And this thing is the very engine of ruin. A woe-bringer. A vector of all dark things. When the black, tangential spirals of a wasted life coalesce, it is into this thing they form. My hand twitches against my will, and the beast turns from its amusements and pushes out a sharp command. My fingers bend backward as it punishes me for this involuntary trespass. As the bones break, a thousand screams rise and die within my chest, for I dare not release them. The blood pools under the broken flesh of my hand. I see the stain grow. 
I am happy for a moment to discover some part of me can still do that. Grow. It does not like my happiness. My head swells with its fury. Bloated, my nose spouts, my ears. I soon know nothing but a white-hot river of pain as my brain is deluged, drowned within. My eyes feel like they might melt with the intensity, puddling on my cheeks while the bright, angry light of its wrath pours out. My body cracks as I writhe and slobber, pleading for my eyes to stay in. It cares not for my begging. Next, my skeleton is assailed. My back arches and twists. My elbows snap as my arms flail about like pinwheels above my head in one of the gruesome displays it so loves. My knees cave in as my toes fly backward to meet my waist, kicking me twice in quick succession. My ribs snap individually, one by one, as my neck cranks slowly around until I'm smothered against my pillows. It twists me into a pile of contortion and bounces me from the bed to the ceiling, making a terrible sound that must be laughter as I carom. Then, as quickly as the torment began, it ends. Sudden, like always. Tired of teaching, it turns away, back to its mindless slapping, and my body realigns, returns to normal once again, like it never happened, like waking from a nightmare. I have lost the ability to tell if these are dreams. That was the first thing it took from me. The ability to tell. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it never did. That was Eric McHatton's It Creeps in the Corners, as read by Spencer Disparty. Spencer Disparty is a voice actor and musician who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, with his wife and son. He has done a number of narrations for such literary podcasts as Pseudopod, Starship Sofa, Escape Artists, and Tales to Terrify. His music can be found at soundcloud.com slash thegearianband. And if you'd like to have him on any of your future projects, he can be reached via email at the link in the show notes. Thank you, Spencer. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our second tale tonight comes from Alex Laurel Lands. Alex Laurel Lands is an artist and writer based in Oakland, California. She is one of the managing editors and co-founder of the charity publisher TLDR Press. When not writing, she can be found lurking in the shadows with a horde of rats. Listen with me, children of the night. To Alex Laurel Lands, the only way out is through. A Tales to Terrify original. The cell door seals shut behind me, and I'm faced with myself, my own reflection in a mirror that spans across the far wall, almost to the edges. This cell is starker, smaller than my old one. I glance at the picture of Marco tucked into my palm, the only thing they let me bring. A young woman sits on a cot, her back against the bone-white cement wall. She examines me as I move toward the empty one across from her. So they got you too, huh? She asks, looking up from the notepad in her lap. Black curls bounce around her soft face, dimples framing her wide mouth. Yeah, I guess. They don't waste time. I got here about an hour ago. Her nose wrinkles, I think. There is a small dresser at the end of the cot, full of supplies, toothpaste, spare gray uniforms, soap. I run my thumb over the picture, the only thing I've gotten in the mail since I started prison. Marco's birthday. His dark eyes lit up, chubby cheeks swelled up in a smile. Blue frosting smeared across his hands. I called that day, but my sister said he was napping. Instead, I got this small token. I push the thoughts away of what he's like there, how big he's getting. It's too painful to think about. I place the picture on top of the dresser, leaning against the cement block wall a reminder of why I am doing this. I guess you're my new cellmate, I swallow so I don't let my voice crack. Cherie's. Oh, I'm Mariana. I sink onto the cot, 
the thin blanket scratchy under my hands. The solid metal band around my wrist feels expensive and heavy. I'll have to get used to it. They fitted it to my wrist when I arrived here this morning while they took samples and asked me about my medical history and allergies. Cherise wears an identical one. The mirror makes this cement box feel smaller. There is a small privacy curtain in the far corner, our excuse for a bathroom. The cell door is solid with a horizontal slit in the middle. Reinforced steel. Already the walls are filling with the heat from our bodies. What's with this? Cherise makes eye contact through the mirror. No clue. Probably a one-way or two-way, whatever, you know what I mean. So they're going to just watch us sleep and shit? Their experiment, I don't know. She shrugs, drumming the pen against her knee. I don't know why I expected her to know more. She must be as bullheaded as me, willing to sign any paper that a white man in a suit hands you if he makes a sweet promise. There was an ugly logo for Monticello Industries on it. I didn't look through the contract, only my name printed out at the bottom, ready to be signed. I don't remember them saying anything about being watched. I don't either, but if it means getting out of prison early, sign me the hell up. Not the worst job, I guess. Four weeks to freedom, she smirks. Twenty-eight days. When he said I'd be released in twenty-eight days, the world fell away. All I heard was that number. If I didn't sign my name, I'd be released in seven years. I thought of Marco. What seven years outside of those walls will do to him? How he'll change and grow without me? If I didn't sign it, when I see him again, he'll be doing long division and look at me with different shaped eyes, filled with resentment. But if I signed the contract and did what they said, I'll be released in 28 days. Wouldn't it be nice to see your son again? The man asked, teeth so white they gleamed. All you have to do is let us observe you. It's a straightforward experiment. You'll be helping the world. There wasn't a choice. It didn't matter what experiment they were doing. I would do anything to get out, to get back to him, to make up for all the mistakes that took him from me. The contract could say anything. I thought of the jobs I had to take to put him in daycare, give him clothes and toys, any job to give him what I never got. I signed the contract, and the man smiled. I stretch my legs against the cot. Stiffness has clamped over them from the ride here. The hours of watching the dry horizon slip by from the back of the van the potholes rocking me back and forth. The complex was anonymous, beige walls and chain-link fences. All prisons look the same. The winding halls in complete silence as the guard led me down sterile staircases. 
the slit in the door slides open with a clang. A plastic red tray slides through it. Roosh! The voice is monotone and loud. Cherise gets to her feet, letting the notepad thump onto the bed. She takes the tray, eyebrows quirking as she examines it. Valdez! Another tray slides through. I get up to take it. It smells like soil and plastic. The slit in the door clamps shut. Bon appetit, Charisse chuckles, poking the plate with a disposable fork. I sit at the edge of my cot, balancing the tray on my knees. There aren't a lot of options for dining here. Weird they won't take us to the cafeteria, I say, looking at the plate. A pile of rice, a slice of mystery meat, and some cut-up carrots. Fine enough, I guess. What do you think this is? A red fruit is impaled at the end of her fork. It's the size of a fist, dripping black juice. Disgust pricks my stomach. I've never seen a fruit like that before, with its rough skin and deep color. You want to try it? She holds it out, a black droplet hitting the floor. Her face sneers, half revulsion, half amusement. No sharing. A voice rumbles, startling me to drop my fork. You must both completely finish your individual meals. I snap my head over. Only our reflections look back. Cherise sarcastically mouths, Excuse me, into the mirror. So they really are watching us through there. I shovel a piece of burnt meat into my mouth. It isn't so bad if you just swallow. She chews, wincing. Something clutches around my arm. I bolt upright, breath catching in my throat. A man looks down at me with an impish smile. Good morning. The fuck? My heart pounds. It's a blood pressure monitor squeezing around my arm. He pumps it, watching the dial. Cherise laughs from across the room. There's a cart blocking her from view, with jars of tongue depressors and alcohol wipes along the top. A few more tests. It'll be quick, he says as he unstraps it. Why didn't you wake me up? I figured you'd wake up one way or another. He shrugs and takes out a flashlight pen from his shirt pocket. He puts a clammy hand to my eyebrow, holding my eye open. A piercing beam of white. Bright blotches dance at the edges of my vision. He tells me to open my mouth. I hope it unleashes a wave of morning breath, bad enough to make him gag. Instead, he shines the light. Looks good, he says, switching the light off and jotting something down on his notepad. What's this for? The experiment. Yeah, but, I mean, what exactly is it for? Just to monitor you guys, see how you're doing. He finishes writing with a flick of his wrist and flips the notepad closed. It's worthless asking questions. He pushes the cart of medical supplies to the door. It lurches open, and he disappears behind it. I tried to wake you up, Cherise chuckles, 
brushing a lock of hair out of her round face. You're a deep sleeper. I'm just tired. You were snoring last night. Yeah, right. He didn't take our empty trays with him when he left. We decide to put them in the far corner, stacked neatly next to the privacy curtain. The only splash of color against the white and gray. The minutes slip by, or at least I assume they do. There's no clock in here. The lights dim at night, letting us sleep. I wonder what time it lines up to. I do crunches and push-ups until sweat shines over my skin. I've always liked jogging around the track, feeling the air blow past me. Run until my lungs burned, until my legs went wobbly. Run until the thoughts slip out of my mind. The nervous energy swelling in me finally able to dissipate, my body spent. That energy has always been in me since I was born, ready to mount the world. I'd tear out of that trailer park on the outskirts of town, running across cracked asphalt until I felt alive. Keep running until that small town disappears behind me, the only thing giving me a purpose, to get away. Keep going. I'd repeat it before track, repeat it getting into nationals. I'd dodge the potholes and the cracks where the trees persisted and grew through the cement. And on days where I wasn't fast enough, I'd crash onto the asphalt, cursing the roots, dirt embedded in the blood on my knees. I'd clench and force myself up. Are you going to lay there and cry? Get back up. I'd blink through the tears, reminding myself of my only way out. Keep going. The voice jolts me. I drop onto the floor, the metal band scraping underneath me. Did you say something? What? Cherise calls from the other side of the privacy curtain. Never mind. I can feel her side-eye without looking. It wasn't her voice. Was it them? Maybe it was me. I place the palm of my hand against the wall. It's cold, the cement impenetrable. The air in the cell has grown thick with the hot stench of us. I think about the rows of shut doors I passed as I was led down here. Thick doors of steel, one after another, down the meandering halls. I wonder if there are other experiments. Clunk. The slit in the door opens. The voice calls her name, and she takes the tray. They call mine when the second tray comes through. It's the same as before. Tepid and bland. I wonder if it's really morning when I wake up, the impish man looking down at me, the fluorescent lights brightened again, a sunrise of artificial light. He tells me I'm normal before dragging his cart back out. Cherise loops her pen on the surface of the notepad, her eyes flicking up for a second. Sleepyhead, she mutters, flipping to the next page. I wash up behind the tiny curtain that gives more of the impression of privacy than actual privacy. 
When I put my hair into twin braids, I have to use the giant mirror against the far wall. Icy nervousness creeps up my spine looking into it, imagining someone else behind my face. The doctor with his lopsided nose, the thin lips of the man from Monticello Industries, someone else, someone standing there, their eyes overlaid with my own. Something is at the bottom corner of the mirror. Words, like someone wrote in steam, faint. Do it. Something about it turns my stomach. I didn't write this. Did Cherise? Did they? Did someone else before I got here? My fingertip smears it, and I force myself to look away. I get down in front of the cot and start doing crunches. You trying to lose weight or something? You're already skinny. No, just something to do, I reply between clenches. I feel that. Exhaustion seizes me before long, and I collapse flat onto the floor, panting. The vent in the ceiling puffs cool air into this little box every so often. I miss the outdoors, feeling the sun warm my shoulders. Whatever. If this is what I have to do, then so be it. Here, a paper flutters down next to me. It's a drawing, a cartoon girl. Bow-shaped lips, narrow eyes. What's this? It's you. You drew this? It's pretty good. I smile at it. She made me look sweeter than I am, but it's nice. Thanks. She sighs, rubbing the back of her hand across her forehead, careful not to let the band on her wrist scratch her. Her eyes look pink, tired. I reach out to hand it back, and she waves me off. Keep it. It reminds me of a kid's movie, something with secret agents or princesses or something like that, something I'd put on for Marco. Well, something I'd put on while he crawled around, never sitting still, eager and wide-eyed, ready to take on the world. I put the drawing next to the photo of him, some sort of impression of me next to him, two different worlds side by side. Clunk! The first tray comes through the slit. Before they have a chance to say her name, Cherise gets up and grabs it. There are twenty-four cement blocks around the mirror, all painted over with white. The blocks and the seams blending together in the harsh light. I think about counting them again while I stretch. Cherise turns over in her cot, laying in fetal position. You okay? She shrugs, letting out a rasping breath. What did that guy say earlier when he checked on you? I slept through him coming again, but he must have checked her. He said I was fine. You don't look fine. A puff of air blows from her lips. She wipes at the sweat beating under her neck. The slit in the door opens. The first tray slides out. Red fruit 
veiny and textured. Roosh, the voice without a body, commands. She grumbles, pressing a hand over her eyes. I'll get it. Roosh, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to hand it to her. I freeze, foot hovering midair. Roosh, fuck it. She swings her legs over the edge of the cot. She lumbers to the door, her eyes watery as she passes. The second tray slides out. Rice, meat, mushy carrots. Valdez. The voice orders as I snatch it. People love to flex what little power they have. Every detail becomes a way for them to maintain control. The rice is undercooked. I swallow it anyway. Cherise slides the tray to the end of the bed. The fruit rolls against its lip. All subjects must finish everything on the trays, the voice demands. I'm not hungry, Cherise groans, arms wrapping around her stomach. Can't you see that she's sick? I snap towards the mirror, toward my own tired face. All subjects must finish everything on the trays. White-hot anger boils in the pit of my stomach. The plastic fork bends between my tightening fingers. Fine, she mutters, tearing off a piece of the fruit. It drips down her knuckles as she pushes it between her pale lips. Power-tripping assholes, I glare at the abstract shapes in the mirror, the streaks of white light, the blotches of the wall. Her shoulders hunch, gagging. She's a blur disappearing behind the privacy curtain. The sound of her retching bounces against the walls. Wet sounds. I push my tray onto the bed. Finish your meal, Valdez. The voice commands from nowhere. Why don't you send that doctor guy back here? She's obviously sick. Another wet sound. It makes my stomach shrivel. Buzz. Pain shoots through my left arm, hot and burning. My bones vibrate. My teeth clench. Electric shock. The metal band on my wrist. Electricity hums under my skin. My stomach tightens. It's over in a flash. Pain reverberating through my joints. Slack-jawed, I stare at myself. Finish, Valdez. Tears glide from my eyes, but I don't look away. I take another bite. The lights have dimmed, gray shadows swallowing the walls. Cherise rolls back and forth, her rasping breath mixed with the hissing of the vent. My eyes close, but I can't tell how much time has passed when I open them again. My muscles stretched out and thin, my eyes dry. The lights brighten, the door opens, the cart pushes in, followed by that man. Wow, you're awake for once. A jagged smile cuts across his face. I snap up, clutching the cot. 
You have to check her. I think she's really sick. That's what I'm here for. The cart stops in between us. I lean against the wall, the bumps of the cement pressing into my shoulder blades. The doctor without a name bends over her, takes her blood pressure, flashes a light in her eyes, opens her mouth. All good. He straightens and writes something on his notepad. All good? Have you fucking seen her? Look at her. She's normal. He turns to me, shadows blotting over his eyes. Sit up, your turn. His hands are clammy and cold as he takes my blood pressure, checks my eyes. I keep glancing at her, a pile of limbs on the bed. All good. What's not good to him? As he turns back to the cart, I jump to my feet. Wait, you can't. I reach for him. Buzz! My wrist shakes. It jolts through me. The electric shock, strong enough to stun me. I'm on the bed, teeth clenching. A metallic screech pierces the air as he pushes the cart out and the door shuts behind him. I should have figured. The shock was stronger this time. It takes a while for me to shake the remnant aches out of my arm. She rolls over, covering herself under the thin eggshell blanket. Hey, how you feel? She groans, curls poking over the blanket. I take a few slow steps toward her. Mariana? The blanket peels back. Hot and sticky breath plumes from her cracked lips. Thick and throbbing veins web down her face, blackening down her neck as they disappear under her damp shirt. She looks up at me with bloodshot eyes. Icy pangs tighten my chest. My heart sinks. I wish I had something to give her. I liked eating plain bread when I was sick to give my stomach something to latch onto. I put an entire loaf in the bathroom in those weeks of morning sickness, those hours of retching. Sometimes I'd glance at the pamphlets the doctor gave me that detailed all the ways my body will become almost unrecognizable. How my pelvis will shift, the skin will stretch. It's normal for your body to change a lot these next few months. Change is inevitable. I have to change with it. I tore off another piece of bread and forced myself to swallow, imagining the budding life sharing it in the pit of my body. But my hands are empty now. Shh, it's okay. I don't know what else to say. I sit at the edge of her cot, the heat of her body suffocating. Just hold on for a little while longer. Twenty-eight days. The number bounces in my head. How many days has it been? I count the times I've seen the doctor, but it feels stretched out. Has it been three or five? Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Maybe it doesn't match up to anything. I think about counting the trays like tally marks but the stack looms like one single tower, a solid red gash. 
Her notepad is pressed against the wall. The first page is drawings of cartoon people. More drawings of flowers, dogs, cities. I imagine her at a county fair, in a little booth between food stands and games. She'd have a big sketch pad, and people would pay her to draw fun little caricatures of each other. Do you like dogs? she'd ask, adding one in. The drawings get more incoherent the further I flip ahead. Eventually, it scribbles, crazed lines piled on top of each other until the paper rips. I close it and set it next to her. Roosh, the metal slit opens. The red tray slides in like a tongue. She flips off the blanket. Gray skin, sweat slick in the fluorescent light. They'll zap me again if I get up, if I even touch her tray. I focus on the worn socks on my feet so I don't have to see her struggle. She slides to her knees next to the door, tray on the ground. The slit shuts with a clink. Do you want water or anything? I kneel, the floor cool underneath me. She shakes her head, her thick arm acting as a cushion. Drool slicks over her puffy lips and onto the floor. There's no way Charisse can eat. My stomach swims, flipping under my ribcage. Cherise makes a wet gurgle. A single red fruit sits on her tray. It darkens toward the top, black. Rouge, finish your food. The voice booms through the room, whirring through my bones. Look, she clearly can't fucking eat. I snap towards the mirror, towards the shapes that make up us. All subjects must completely finish. The words scrape at me, my teeth grinding. She jolts, her arms smacking the floor. They shocked her. Nausea fills me. She's going to die if she doesn't do it. They'll shock her until she dies. Cherise, the words crumble in my mouth. Cherise, listen, they're going to shock you again if you don't do it. Just swallow. That's it. You just gotta push through it. She rubs the shock band, her eyes dazed. Roosh must eat the fruit. You have to fucking do it. They're going to kill you if you don't. Eat the fucking fruit. I'm shouting, fingernails digging into the floor. She can't give up. The red fruit is bright between her round fingers, each motion sluggish as she brings it closer to her lips. Her teeth sink in. Ebony fluid streams from the corners of her mouth, dripping down her chin. It sprays against her dark veins. A bloom of relief swells. If she can do that, she'll probably be okay. Thud. The fruit rolls on the floor, her hand limp. Her glossy eyes look past me, primal. Mariana, some something's wrong. 
She's shaking, her limbs beating against the floor, her body vibrating. The veins are moving. No, it's something more. Bumping through her skin, slithering underneath like worms. It's alive. It's snaking under her shirt, rushing over her torso, over her neck. Thick and dark, it slithers down her jaw. Black veins spread through her arms. My heart is in my throat. My hands are shaking. Cut it out of her. Hold on. I grab the tray. If I smash it hard enough, it'll break. I swing it back. Buzz. It lances through me. Pain shakes through my arm. Iron taste fills my mouth as I hit the ground, shaking. The tray clatters next to me intact. The waves of aftershock roll through me, my chest heaving. I didn't make it an inch. Cherise's limbs beat against the ground, panicked and wild-eyed. It's writhing under her skin. She lets out an agonizing howl. It knots under her neck, black against black, vein over vein. It rips open. A red mouth opens across her throat. It roars apart. She shoots up, her head twisting over her shoulder, slack. She's screaming as she opens from the throat down, her torso unfurling like bird wings. Bones snap. Ribcage gleaming white as it cracks open. My back is against the mirror, and it isn't until my heel knocks into the wall I realize that I'm screaming. The glass pounds under my fists. Streaks of sweat distort the reflection. My mouth gapes. Red sprouts behind me. Tendrils growing across the room. I'm screaming nonsense. I'm screaming sounds too sharp for me to understand. I'm screaming until I can't breathe, until I'm huddled on the ground, sobs raking over me. Bile splatters on the floor between my palms, and I collapse. Silence rings in my ears. My heart beats in my throat, blood rushing. The air is so hot, I'm choking. The smell of rot. The smell of bodies. How long have I been out? My head pounds. The chill from the floor creeps over my shoulders. Aches climb up my arm. The skin blisters under the shock band. Red splotches climbing out around the edge. The phantom shock rings through me. Cherise! I swallow my throat dry. I force myself to sit up and turn my head. A tree of gore. It sprouts from her chest. Twisted black, nodding over itself, curling from the gorge in her torso. Black tendrils slither up to the ceiling, spiraling like veins over the bedpost, over the door, 
her chest splayed open, the tree taking root in the bed of her muscles. Legs sprawled limp under her, one ankle twisted. So many branches glazed with her blood. I'm so sorry, Cherise. I'm so sorry. She blurs away. I'm crying. My thoughts trip over each other, spliced with her primal stare. I can't think past her face, what it looked like as she lay dying, that long look of absolute shock. The smell of iron and blood pummels me, rot and sour. I have the urge to pray over her. I'm getting closer to her, though I don't feel like I'm doing it. Transfixed to the tree, like its many branches are reaching out for me. A small voice inside says to look away, but my dry eyes are wide and locked. The way the roots knit into her body, the way her veins climb up them, it's taken over her. I kneel next to her ankle, her foot twisted over the fruit she tried to eat, smashed into a crimson smear. Cherise's hand is warm in mine. I lace my fingers through hers and squeeze. For a second, it almost feels like she squeezes back. I think of her at the fair again, drawing happy couples, cute kids, where she belongs. You'll be helping the world. That man's voice plays in my head, that condescending smile. Is this what you wanted? I spit. Anger erupts. I scream at the mirror. I shout and stomp up and down the cell, pounding my fists against the wall until I can't anymore, until I melt onto the floor. There is nothing left in me to scream, and quiet tears patter onto the cement in broken constellations. My reflection, tired and worn, crumpled in front of the thing that has taken Cherise's body. But instead of imagining people lurking under my reflection, I imagine a black void, a chasm, absolute nothingness. My muscles ache. The burning in my wrist has died down. I nod off occasionally on the floor, curled up in the corner beside my cot. Do the lights dim? Does it happen when I'm asleep? Every inhale filled with the thick stench of rot. Hunger gnaws at me. Every time I open my eyes, the tree looks more knotted. Shreds of bloody flesh dangle from its branches. Drips of blood. Has it always reached the mirror? I try to bury my face against the wall, so all I see is endless stone. Twenty-eight. I clutch at that number, repeating it. The only thing I can hold on to. Valdez. I shriek, spinning into the corner of the dresser, the voice from nowhere, from behind the reflection. 
Valdez, approach Roosh. My wrist burns, reminding me of what it means to disobey. The smell grows thicker the closer I get. My legs teeter. I kneel beside her leg. Chunks of flesh cling to the branches. Dozens of them. No, not flesh. Fruit. That red fruit. It's the color of blood. The color of the inside of skin. Her veins feed into them, netting into them, shining in the fluorescent light. They pulse. Valdez, take the fruit. It's like the air has been punched from my lungs. They were watching this whole time. They knew. They saw. This is the point. Electricity rips through my arm, pierces through my chest, hot buzzing. The floor hits my cheekbone. Blood fills my mouth. My heart ricochets against my ribs. I'm twisted over Cherise's leg. Fuck you! I try to say it through the blood and my swollen tongue, but nothing comes out. My arms are stiff, waves of aftershock pulling over my body. Cherise's eyes lock onto mine. Down here I can see her face, pushed back by the branches. Her head, dangling from her twisted neck, slack over her shoulder. Her eyes wide, feral. I freeze, my heart thumping against the floor her face petrified in that wild death stare, mouth gaping in a silent scream. She blinks. She's alive. She's still there. Terror in her dark eyes. The movement of the growth, the pulsing of the fruit. She's still breathing. The veins growing into the tree. It's all her. It's still her. I follow the branches with my eyes, how they reach across the room. Don't you want to see him again? A black branch digs into the ceiling. It's curling between the seams, twisting into the paint. It's burrowing, growing through the cement. Persistence! The word feels so heavy, so tangible. Are you gonna just lay there and cry? Do what you have to do. Do what it takes. The voices are faint echoes at the traces of my mind. All those times at track practice, at those hard jobs, forcing myself through the pain. Push yourself. My tired muscles twitch. My arm is burning. Everything is screaming in me, but I get to my feet. My fingers wrap around the fruit. It's hot, pulsing in my palm, beating like a heart. It isn't so bad if you just swallow. Once it's pulled from the branch, it stops beating. Valdez, eat the fruit. It's warm, soft. It's flesh, her flesh, 
It's like holding a baby. The night he was born flashes before me. Keep pushing, they yelled over my screams. The howling pain tore through me until his first cry pierced the air. The most beautiful sound. He has your eyes. The nurse beamed as she laid him against me, his body so small against my chest. It was worth it. I'd do anything for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes, give you everything you could ever want, I whispered to the top of his head, his scraggly brown hairs gliding against my lips. No matter what, I'll do it all for you. His hand wrapped around my finger. Our hearts beat in perfect unison. Eat the fruit. My teeth sink in. The salty flesh is slippery past my tongue. It's blood, sweat, spit, tears, all the parts that make up a body. I swallow it all. I'm staring at myself, blood and black smeared across my face. She's beside me, all around me, growing still. The walls get closer, red flesh and white cement. My heartbeat echoes. It's going to be a part of me. I pull out the picture of him and lean it against the edge of the mirror. My reflection floating above him, behind him, all around him. It begins deep inside. It slithers, making me tremble. I cry out when it slips between my ribs, when it crawls through my intestines. I'm burning hot, sweat pooling under my shirt. But it's growing. It's part of me now. I think of the day I found out I was pregnant. I put my hand over my stomach, and I knew that Deep in me was purpose. I took any job, anything to keep us going. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about him. While I scrubbed floors and cleaned deep fryers, I'd whisper to myself, Keep going. It's all worth it. It's all for him. It swells under my skin. I'm going to push through. Force myself to keep going. Heavy and dense, it coils through my bones, bending my hand until black tendrils push through. They snap. I scream. Force myself through. The thoughts break apart as it comes to life, as it warps through my limbs. My veins are black. The fruit lives in me. I'd do it all for you, anything. It's growing through me, another heartbeat, another pulse. I'm blazing on fire. My veins join it, fueling it. It's through my flesh. I think of him crawling towards me, that smile, so eager to come out, so eager to live. It's like I'm running so fast. 
I'm coming back for you, no matter what. I see his eyes in the mirror. Those eyes, like my own, that sweet face. Between the branches, the curve of his cheeks, I can almost feel the warmth of him. I rip apart. That was Alex Laurel Land's The Only Way Out is Through, as read by Maureen McLean. Maureen McLean is an Austin musician, plucking the bass with acoustic bands, the Therapy Sisters, and a proper cup of coffee. She earns her keep in the courtroom, interpreting real-life terrifying tales from Spanish to English. Thank you, Maureen. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we push back the veil with more Tales to Terrify. Tales to Terrify